Hello, and welcome to Make Sense, a podcast where we focus on one of our five senses. Each week, we'll chat with a new guest and explore their experiences in relationship to that sense. I'm Chanel Miller. And I'm Garen Chi. And this week, we're talking about sight with our guest, author Gia Tolentino, who's joining us later on. Welcome to our first episode. We wanted to share a little bit of context on how Make Sense came to be. Yeah, this podcast really came about because honestly, I just love having conversations with Chanel, my friend, and um, Chanel is such a great person to talk to you about really anything and I feel like our conversations always end up being very giggly, very thoughtful, they're quieter moments and louder moments and yeah it felt like a very natural person to do a podcast with and we just wanted something that would bring us joy yeah we realized we could generate our own delight no matter what chaos was unraveling in our lives Mm -hmm. and we decided to open up our conversations um, to include other people and understand how they move through the world and how their heightened sense of perception informs their work So our first season focuses on the five senses, but then the seasons beyond that will focus on other ones like a sense of joy or a sense of anxiety and so on and so forth. We are so glad you're here. So Karen, let's begin. Yay! How has your week been? Uh, My week's been pretty good. Yeah, how about yours? I'm a little congested because everything in my life was gelling. And so positive, so I knew something had to go a little bit <laughs> wrong. And it was your nose. <laughs> it's my nose, and I'll take it. Oh, when you said gel, and I thought that was slang for like being jealous, like all the different <laughs> parts of your life were going so well. Um, I'm burning with envy, and I have a cold. Yeah, it uh, makes you sound really good, though. You sound like Louis Armstrong. <laughs> um, Karen, since this episode will be focusing on sight, can you share? with our audience, anything that you've seen or observed this week? Yes. Okay. I saw something this week that has been a mystery that I've been trying to solve for a while. So I live on the second floor in an apartment building and there's a, like, there's a window and outside the window is a fire escape with a big ladder. And every day, almost every day, I, in the morning, I would hear this like, noise outside. And then I would dart to the window to see what it is because it sounds like a person walking down the fire escape um and I'd be a little freaked out because I don't have curtains on that window and I just found out like yesterday morning I managed to see it's a squirrel like climbing up the fire escape as though it's a person (laughs) (laughs) just going so fast and being so loud on two legs on I yeah two legs and two hands (laughs) Like scurrying up the ladder. And it's also fun because I can see the front side of it. So it's like the entire body wow. of the squirrel. Yeah. Really hot. Really hot. Really sexy. Chanel, what about you? What have you seen? Well, I've been in Los Angeles and I can't get over the palm trees. And when mm-hmm. the sun is hitting them, they're like so glossy and waxy and all the tips dangle. And it's like kind of spidery, but not in a threatening way. Because that would be scary if there was, like, spiders on sticks. But it's, like, it's very lovely. So, palm trees. Chanel, are you ready to welcome our guest? 
Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> Let's welcome our guest, Gia Tolentino. Yay! Ooh. Hi, guys. Hello. Will you introduce yourself for our audience? Yeah, uh, I'm Gia. I am a writer, and I am... I'm currently on a self-created maternity leave. Uh, so that's, you know, all I am is I'm Gia and I'm fucking chilling. But when you say self-created maternity leave, it makes it sound like you didn't have a baby and you just made it up. Um, no, it's self-created because I don't have a real job. You know what I mean? It's like oh. self-created because you got to, because I'm like, I mean, I've been, I still have a six week old right now and I also have a three year old and I've had the the new baby is truly incredible like she's an incredible like if I like the kind of if all newborns were like her the overpopulation crisis would be you know a, a billion times worse like she's so gentle and calm and serious and like I've truly truly enjoyed in this real way like she's not fussy like she's just mm. she doesn't like I feel like for newborns, it's she has no sense of panic at her own extreme vulnerability. Like she's amazing. Um, but I, I keep wondering, like, what would this experience be like if I lived in like a good country with a year paid leave, like so many, you know, like we should have or six months or whatever, or even any, like I don't have really have paid leave. And so except for the WGA. Um, yeah. Hell yeah. Like they have this parental <laughs> benefit that came in you know, between baby one and baby two. And yeah, like WGA strong, hashtag WGA strong. Am I yeah. right? Um, <laughs> but I keep wondering, like, would I be enjoying Boo. it as much if it weren't? So <laughs> I forgot. Janelle is pro AMPTP. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I told you before. You're actually head of the of all the studios, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> We're folding with Janelle's ass long. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry, that's long-winded to say, like, it's self-created. But I keep wondering, like, how how different would this be if I knew I had, like, six months to do this? Yeah. Would it be would it be sweeter? Would it be like less intense, more intense? I don't know. When you say that this baby is really well behaved, was that are you trying to signify that that was different from your first baby? Well, my first baby was on the I would say she was on the the great side of normal. Okay. You know, like she like she was definitely she slept or actually honestly, she was she was really good. Like she slept through the night at three months. She was just, she was really hungry. She got really fat, really fast. We love to see it in an Asian baby. You know what I mean? <laughs> and um, she was great. But this one, like, you know, there was still a normal amount of pacing in the middle of the night and being like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? You know? And this one, she's just, she's just like a little dinosaur hatched out of an egg. Like the land before time. She's so land before time. She's so like baby spike is her vibe. I feel incredibly lucky that she's this chill. Gia, that's such a lovely visual of your baby <laughs> being a little dinosaur. I feel like that would be a really good Halloween costume if you're looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we also wanted to ask, before you had your baby, you were a Twitter legend and then quit having had the foresight that Elon would run the place into the ground. Um, you're also famous for being a writer for The New Yorker, and you're the author of the book Trick Mirror, which we've both read and we loved it so much. Um, and yeah, do you feel like a sense of yourself changing as you become a mom or your relationship to those identities and your career changing? Yeah, well, I got off Twitter like three weeks before I had Paloma in August 2020. Mm -hmm. And my deal with Twitter was always like, it has to be more fun than it is deleterious in my life. Mm -hmm. And and I feel like day one of the pandemic, it was instantly like, this is not more fun anymore than than it is harmful. <laughs> um, but little did I know how, just how bad it would get. Are you guys are you guys on it? 
Mm. Not anymore. Yeah, I no one's on, on it anymore, anymore, right? Yeah. And now I legitimately forget to log on. Like, it's not even a thing of, oh, I have to wean myself off of this. It'll be like a couple weeks and I'll be like, oh, I just remembered Twitter exists. <laughs> yeah. It's like a junkyard you used to visit and there was cool stuff in it before. But now it's like. Yeah. Although I will say one of my favorite days of the pandemic was the 30 to 50 feral hogs. Do you remember this? Oh, not only do I remember this, I was really, I had gotten, it was actually the day before the day before my book came out. And so, so we actually, it was, I, I'm pretty, I can, I can date this to the exact day the way that I can't with almost anything else because I had been like out with my friends, like the night before my book was coming out and I came home and I was drunk and it was past midnight and I was like, oh, I should post some book promo. And so I Photoshopped my own book cover and replaced the subtitle which is like mirrored in the little playing card book cover with 30 to 60 feral hogs. <laughs> and I tweeted it and I was like, huge day or whatever. And, and like nobody noticed. And, and, and like people were like, like we're sending like earnest congratulations, like quote tweeting this book cover that just said trick mirror 30 to 60 feral hogs. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was an incredible day. I did enjoy the day where Trump got covid oh yes unfortunately i love that that was really fun that was incredible because i was seeing so many people tweet like we hope he dies without saying that because i guess then that would alert the fbi so people kept being like (laughs) we hope something happens to someone yeah it was like one of the only times i've you know like i was like i can wake my partner up in the middle of the night for something good yeah (laughs) but i but karen your question like yeah i think chanel i don't know if we talked about this like I, i just i didn't after my book came out i was just like I, I have to, like, I I just didn't expect people to read my book in the way that they did. And, um, and so much of my book was, I mean, knowingly, I had been benefiting from the same mechanisms of self-commodification or surveillance capitalism that I was, had been writing about for The New Yorker and wrote about a lot in my book. And I knew that, like, I was, like, that, I was benefiting from the things that I criticized and I was using them at the same time as they were like probably destroying my sanity. But then after the book came out, the kind of the, it it felt like, okay, this is out of hand. (laughs) Like I was like, I have to, you can't keep like benefiting in an extreme way from a system that you criticize, but I still feel exactly like the same person, I think, but just um, tilted away from the, the big eye of the internet. And speaking of I, since this is our eyeball episode, you like that? Um, <laughs> we want to talk about, also, first of all, I will say in regard to the big eye, yes, after my book came out, I felt, I didn't realize how exposed I would feel or how like peeled open you are. You want to cover yourself up, like put, just cover yourself with whatever you can. And sometimes that means going offline. Yeah. Um, So since this week's episode is focused on sight, we want to know where you're calling from and what you can see from where you are right now. What's your current visual world? I am in my bedroom and in a place I moved into two months ago. Um, I can see this desk that my lovely partner built. I see my mouse pad, which is incredibly <laughs> embarrassing that I like if I work in a if I work in a coffee shop, like I I literally take my mouse pad. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> it's a picture of a dog that's smiling, but, but that's smiling, but also is definitely about to throw up. <laughs> I see there is because you know when you move and your plants have some adjusting. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at a row of lovely kind of dangly plants that are on my kind of headboard mantle thing. Mm-hmm. And they're they're they kind of go in an accidental gradient from brightest green to a kind of autumnal kind of burgundy dark green and there's some yellow dead guys peeking out from underneath the healthy ones but Mm -hmm. to them I say you know I see you and I appreciate (laughs) what you're doing for the rest of the plant you know you know that thing with like um what's it called what are mangroves where like when there's not where, where like one one part will be like I'm gonna die so that you all can live very Wait, I didn't that know I, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, so what I think what they'll do when they adjust because mangroves, I think, can go between non-saline freshwater and salt water. Mm, like they're one that's... of the few plants. Do you, is that true? Do you? Know yeah, that? that's why they're all over Florida, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're in like bay areas where like it's like a lot of where those two things meet. I think, mm. but but in the adjustment between one or the between, I think usually fresh. I, I honestly like this could be completely false. Like no, no, say it confidently. No, We're gonna believe you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that there. I mean, maybe all maybe a lot of plants do this, but like in the adjustment from one kind of water to another like a specific part of the plant will 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 die off will will just like sacrifice itself and absorb all the stuff that the that the would be toxic if if distributed evenly and so it takes it and it dies off in there and isn't that like so wonderful and so t- sad and so lovely yeah that's so nice. I don't it's... know if that's what's going on with my plants. It's probably just like I don't have enough light and I'm just all of these dying. <laughs> probably just dying. <laughs> probably just fucking dying. It's dying and you're like, this is so beautiful. Yeah, I'm yeah, so yeah. moved by this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like this journey you're all going on. Like, yeah. like, it's like I'm dying. I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> um, wait, but um, so I, I know we're interviewing you right now, but when you are interviewing a person, what are you paying attention to? And we want to specifically ask like, What's your visual intake while listening to them, especially if you're writing a profile of some kind? Well, I, I mean, when I'm interviewing people, I do one thing that, one thing that I often have to prompt in people when I'm interviewing and I'm like, tell me about X thing. Right. And they'll tell me about it, but I'm like, tell me what the room looked like. Right. Can you tell me what the room looked like? Can you tell me what, um, what you were looking at and what your body felt like and what, um, because to me, it's like, that is the, someone could probably just tell that stuff and not say any of the actual facts and you would absorb just as much about them. Like, mm-hmm. and it's interesting that, um, I, I always ask people to describe visually what they remember because it's not the stuff that comes first when people recount their times. And, but when I'm interviewing somebody, I, I try to take, I try to take like at least a couple of pictures. Cause I don't trust my memory. Like you get fact-checked so hard at the New Yorker it's, it gets really, really precise. And I don't trust, like, it's kind of been a really, I just like properly humiliating experience of realizing, like, if I, if I don't take a picture, I'll write down someone's wearing like dark jeans and instead they're black jeans. Like I'll just get stuff wrong. If I don't, if I don't take a picture, like I, I, I think I try really hard to transcribe visual details, like just kind of rapidly trusting that whatever my brain notices is, is, you know, telegraphs enough of something that, you know, I'll figure it out later when I'm writing the thing. Yeah. I, 
When I was interviewed by the New York Times, I remember there was a line and it says that I hum while eating dessert. And I didn't <laughs> realize that I do that or that I had been observed. That's so cute. Did they say, was it like a specific song? Or were you just no. going like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I was so fascinated that that was deemed significant. But it sounds like you just collect maybe their mannerisms and whatever, like whatever you're noticing, you jot it all down and later selectively determine what's going to like build the visual of this person. I mean, I generally think about pieces that it's, you know, a subject is interesting enough if it's something that I would make my friend talk to me about over dinner, right? And the th and if I'm profiling somebody and the details that I want to put would want to put in the piece are the details that I would tell my friend. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe I guess where that writer was that you were humming while you're eating dessert, but, but it's like, yeah, I guess you pull out whatever, whatever feels like you would just make someone talk to you about. Can I ask, as a writer, do you enjoy coming up with visual metaphors? I'm like, what do I enjoy about writing? <laughs> I'm like, do I enjoy? <laughs> no, because I think, I mean, my relationship to enjoyment in writing is so, you know, I mean, it's a confusing one, right? Like, I think, I mean, I, I really like the worst parts of it. I, I like the... I like the agony of it. And I don't, this is another thing I discovered after I wrote my book. I really don't enjoy having written, you know, like I think I feel 30 minutes pleasure. You know, I, I feel like a short burst of pleasure oh. when, when something is done and people are reading it, but I feel a much more prolonged, complicated and lasting pleasure in the actual agonizing process of doing it. And mm -hmm. that was such a devastating realization <laughs> after my book came out. I was like, I can't really enjoy having written this because all the enjoyable part is over. But even though the enjoyable part's kind of bad, are you're not like, was that similar to your experience? Yeah, yeah, you know? absolutely. It feels really good to be inside it, even when the like temperature is too hot and it's really thorny and it's so um, emotionally painful. At least it's like this immediate experience that you're conjuring yourself and it's really raw. And then once it's packaged and lovely for consumption, now it's not from the inside coming out. It's all the input. It, it's all outside stimuli coming in. It's coming at you. You're not giving it anymore. And that's really overwhelming. And I think as a writer, I prefer being in a mode where I'm working inward to the outside and not being a speaker or just a living as a writer, which is outside people telling you how they feel about your insides. <laughs> right, like, right. No, 100%. Yeah, I, I, I remember my editor saying the hardest thing you'll encounter after your book comes out is figuring out how to insulate yourself again. And I thought, I'm introverted. I can do it. And it's been almost impossible. Yeah. So. And I think like both, I mean, there's something about writing a book that the heart of it is so, is, is you exactly as you are. And the thing that is animating the entire book is the thing that you need to protect after the book comes out, lest that entire thing change. Right. And um, you use this thing and then in using it, you immediately endanger it. And so it's counterintuitive almost. Right. Right. Absolutely. And 
I mean, Karen's writing a book too now. We're all um, writers and we're all semi-public. My book is fully different from either of your <laughs> books. I This is like word for word. I, I was talking with my editor about how I was just like, I don't want this book to be personal in any way. I would love Smart. for the reader to read this book and walk away being like, I know less about Karen. And, <laughs> um, and they kept being like, it has to be like, it's going to be an important book for Asian women. I was like, no, that's not what it is. <laughs> I hope Asian women love it, but I don't need this to be important for anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's sort of, I think it's going to be quite different, but it's so fascinating to hear you both talk about this. And I also- probably making you be like, I made the right decision. No, I mean, truly it is. <laughs> um, but I wonder if there's also another version of this, which is I kind of notice it when I do like stand up stuff where like the stuff that ends up working the best is the stuff that I've written without an audience in mind or like without the idea of, oh, I'm going to tell this to somebody at some point. It's just like, oh, me being by myself, thinking something's very funny, sort of seeing where that goes and being like it. It's fun to do in that moment. It's fun to write those jokes because you are the only person who's thinking about them. And then when you share them, you're like, oh, weird. The thing that I was maybe most vulnerable or embarrassed about actually is working the best. But then afterwards, it feels like you've lost this special joke you had with yourself. And I wonder if that's the silly, dumb version of what you two are talking about with your memoirs. Yeah, well, I think there's a version of this. Like, there's so, I mean, like, there is there is some kind of clear... Uh, pattern of um something being most itself when it is unsullied by you know a, an aggregate of attention I, I think of it as like the difference between like and even this goes back to the internet thing like I think self-awareness is great on the internet and self-consciousness is when people start to get really annoying or mm. or bad or false in some way and I think self-awareness and self-consciousness is the difference kind of between the thing you were talking about Chanel where it's like Self-awareness is when you are looking at it and you are in this dialogue back and forth between yourself and self-consciousness is when you're imagining other people looking, right? Mm -hmm. When you're imagining that feedback coming in from the outside. And um, and I think some people are able to avoid that online for a, like, I think the, the, the people that are best at remaining human on the internet are the ones that are able to be self-aware, but not self-conscious for the longest time possible. Mm -hmm. But I think we're, we've seen that it's like, most people are like, no, I'm not going to try to do this anymore. It's like, I, I'll just, you know, like, well, what's even the point, right? No, wait, that's such a fascinating point. And I kind of wonder going off of this, um, it feels like self-awareness is something you have, maybe it's easier to be self-aware when fewer people are looking at you. And once you're used to having a lot of eyes on you, that's when you kind of become more self-conscious out of expectation that people will continue to look at you. And Right. Like you'd be in denial of reality if you didn't understand that other people were looking at you. And at that point, it's like time to get off Twitter. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh, I guess that's kind of what you did. What I was going to ask was you've become increasingly famous. I'm sure will become even more so. How is your self perception changed if at all and also how have your levels of self-awareness and self-consciousness changed I don't ever really think about the question of being known unless something physically happens to me in my physical life you know what I mean like I I've always really like since probably 2018 I've had like a 45 minute limit on my phone and computer on what I can look at social media in general but it did wig me out for a bit like I remember so after I had Paloma, I went to go, I, I treated myself to like my first 
movie out by myself. Like I love to be by myself and be walking around New York or any city by myself. And, you know, it's kind of, it's hard to do that when you have small children, but I, and so I treasure moments by myself, days by myself, whatever. And I'd gotten super high and I went to go see Dune at like 10 PM at the Regal Essex where you can lay all the way down, you know? <laughs> and I got like a big, I was like, mm, I'm going to get these cinnamon, cinnamon sugar bites, pretzel bites. Right. And I get this big tray of cinnamon sugar bites that has this like big thing of butter. I'm so high. And I get in my seat and immediately lay all the way down horizontal. And I was like, I'm so cozy. I'm so cozy. This is amazing. And then I realized that the butter has the warm butter has spilled all the way down my crotch. <laughs> like it's it's in my lap on top of my crotch and it's just spilled. And Dune is like three hours long. And I was like, I'm I'm just going to roll with this. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, uh, well, I guess I have no butter to eat these cinnamon bites with. And so I just like felt the, this warm butter get like increasingly cold over the three hours of Dune. And I was, like, just like, I was like, this is life. Life is, you know. Like, and I was still enjoying myself. But then I remember I was like on the G train home or whatever. And, you know, I, my eyes are bright red, like the, the eyes, um, you know, so bloodshot. And and like someone came up to me and they were like, like started a very serious conversation about my book. Right. You know, and, and, like, and, and I was like, and, and I was just like trying to, I was so high and I was like, okay. I was like, I, and I just immediately was like, I spilled hot butter all over my crotch. Like, you know, like, <laughs> like I, just, I was wearing light jeans also. I was like wearing pale jeans. And so I just looked like I had pissed myself, you know, because it was all the way down, much of the V down my crotch and down my leg. And, and anyway, I was like, this is so weird. It's so weird that I'm like, oh, I have, this is why I have butter crotch, you know, but um, <laughs> anyway, but I guess my answer to that question is like, it has not changed my self-perception whatsoever mm. because um, I think that the way other people perceive me would change my self-perception if something shifted in the way my close friends perceived me, mm-hmm. you know, or like something shifted in that space. But, um, but nothing changed about my self-perception other than like, maybe I became increasingly suspicious of myself, like whatever mm-hmm. suspicions I had about myself kind of heightened, but I think that's good. I think that's good. Um, how have you guys, how do you, how have your guys' self-perceptions changed as your work has become more public? I, yeah, I've definitely been, I've been walking my dog or something and been recognized. And then I wanted to be like, you can't see me. Like, this is not, <laughs> this is not me. <laughs> I'm in invisible mode right now. <laughs> like, I was just fully not prepared to be witnessed. And then I have to go back. Oh my gosh. Like, I was on an airplane and six hour airplane. And then when it lands, the girl next to me was like, hey, I just have a question. I was like, yeah. She's like, are you Chanel Miller? And I was like, I guess. (laughs) But (laughs) I had been sleeping, you know, with my mouth open. And then like I was just replaying the last six hours. Like, was I polite enough? Like, was I drooling? What? how was I being perceived this entire time? And that was, that's a weird feeling to like play back, to try and observe yourself from the outside. Yeah, so our final segment of this podcast 
um, it's called the drizzle round. And we thought that lightning rounds are too fast mm, and the answers nice. feel really drizzle rushed. Feels so nice. It's a light rain. Drizzle of butter on your crotch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Slowly <laughs> drizzling down. Cooling down. Yeah, yeah, congealing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so please prepare for this gentle pitter patter of questions, Gia. I'm so ready. Um, all right. So our first question is, what could you look at for a long period of time? Mm. Okay, my baby, you know, mm-hmm. got to shout out my baby. I look at her for a lot all day and I really like looking at her. Um, I could look at clouds. This is bad because my thoughts are like on acid clouds, <laughs> like, like uh, you know, vistas of forest. <laughs> <laughs> um my belly button yeah yeah yeah. no 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 i i like um on when you're on acid and when you're not oh, on acid. yeah but one of the things are like you love looking at your baby when you're not on acid i'm sure you would oh, love looking at i know i don't want to look at my baby when i'm on acid. <laughs> um oh yeah the clouds they just they just well when you're on acid everything like everything lights up with little rainbow prisms everywhere you look so clouds get these like psychic, like these, I mean, obviously psychedelic, these, these kind of iridescent rainbow swirls in them and they start moving and forming, gently forming interesting shapes. And sometimes those shapes take on a narrative such as these are civilizations rising and falling, or these are, you know, two animals chasing each other around the sky, whatever. But, you know, I I, I really like to look at anything. I, I like to look at nature for an extremely long time. Um, on the flip side, what do you, what is something that you never want to look at again? Um, I, I hate to see a man exercising <laughs> indoors. <laughs> I hate to be in close range of a man exercising really hard. Um, Is it that's... the facial expression? It's the sounds, it's the facial expressions, it's the excess sweat. This is like not a dig on my partner who I love greatly, but um, but I just don't like to hear a man breathing hard and sweating next to me. <gasps> um, what is a time when you have felt seen? And like, who makes you feel seen? And I think I mean like seen authentically, not witnessed like we were talking about previously. This is always, it's just friends. Well, it, lately my daughter, do- like my toddler daughter, um, she she like has started to narrativize her life in a way that mirrors the way that I try to narrativize her life to her and in times where she saw me like there were a couple of times she saw me crying after the baby and she would comfort me in exactly the way that I would comfort her you know she was like you know she's like everything's everything's gonna be okay mommy you just just gotta lie down mommy you know you need to rest so you're gonna be big and strong you know when I was just like I'm just really tired because it's hard to push a baby out of your tummy you know and she would like I I feel recognized and seen by the way that she speaks when she's being nice. <laughs> Are there any crushes that you've had that you think about now and you're like, oh, ew. Yeah, I mean, every crush I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm disgusted by everyone I've ever, <laughs> just kidding. Um, yeah, I think, um, I, I do remember the, the way that I talked myself out of my fifth grade crush was I imagined him sitting on a toilet and and I instantly lost my crush. And I remember that crush was problematic for several reasons. Like, I think my friend, my best friend was like trying to date him. We were all in band together, <laughs> you know, whatever. I, I had to get rid of this crush for some reason. And I did it by picturing him on the toilet. 
Um, I so gross. It's so nasty. It's like, (laughs) and in fact, I could probably like rid myself of my attraction to my husband, but you know, like (laughs) meditating on that image for a really long time. But, um, but yeah, the question was, have I, what was it? Crushes I've had in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Have you envisioned on a toilet? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Somebody or something, I guess that you found really attractive before and after time has passed, you've changed your mind on it. I feel like many of the things, I mean, that was a lot of what I wrote my book about. It was things that I felt drawn to, despite knowing that they were bad. I mean, I still feel like that, like, I think about, I think like two day shipping, you know what I mean? Like at mm. online shopping in general, right? Like, like the, the shiny synthetic, the, the whole realm of the, the easy, convenient, um, I, I am, I am attracted to, and I'm disgusted yeah. by my, I'm disgusted with myself for it. That makes sense. I just want to say for context, I mean, um, the reason we came up with this question is because I have experienced the reverse of it, which is that, and this was like a huge moment in my life, is when we were growing up, we watched The Sound of Music really often. I still watch it really often. And when I was a kid, I was like, oh, such a nice family, like, what, so sweet. And then at some point when I was 14 or 15, we watched it again. And I remember being like, oh, my God, the dad is so hot. This I'm happened just like, to me where... Yeah. During Omicron, like all eight people on one of my group texts got COVID at the same time. And so we decided to watch The Lord of the Rings, <laughs> like on three successive nights. because We were like, we're <laughs> trapped, you know. And I remember when I watched it in high school, I had a huge crush on Orlando Bloom. Mm. But this time, my attention, I hadn't seen it since. And I was like, Viggo Mortensen is the hottest man I've ever seen. <laughs> Um, but is there anything you've read in a book or seen in a piece of media that you would like to actually see yourself in real life? And it can also be something that someone else has seen that they've described to you or maybe like a moment in history that you've heard about that you wish you could see. Well, yes. So one of my favorite books in recent years is Benjamin Labatut's When We Cease to Understand the World. And it's this really, have any, have, have either of y'all read it? It's really good. It's like, I mean, it's astonishingly good. It's about each chapter is about a scientific discovery that drove the discoverer to the brink of madness. Um, they're all real, but the with each each chapter changes. Like the first chapter is entirely fact, I think, with one fictionalized detail. By the end, it's entirely fiction. And and it and it gradates throughout that. Oh, but so wow. and so the whole book is full of like really um like anytime I read something that is um there's a lot of sort of like elemental extreme images of light and friction and spark and explosion and whatever like this is like um what like the, my first post baby excursion was I went to go see Oppenheimer in 70 mil- millimeters I was like I gotta see that gotta see that flare in the sky like it's horrible you know but I was like I gotta I gotta see the bomb um, so whenever I'm reading about kind of anything that's in the realm of like scary and dazzling I want to mm-hmm. see it and do you have anything you can recommend for our listeners to go see? To go see? I think before the end of summer, going somewhere very green and looking at nothing but green all day. That's what I wish I could do right now. And so I hope people get to do that. That's so yeah. nice. <laughs> oh, man. That is color and light. All right. Uh, well, that's it from us. Thank you for joining us, Gia. Thank you guys for having me. It was really good to talk to you. Yeah, we loved hearing about the way that you perceive and intake the world. 
Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Make Sense with Gia Tolentino and, of course, with us, Chanel and Karen. We hope we've encouraged you to go into the world with your senses wide open. And we'd love to hear from you. So send a one to three sentence description of something you've experienced to makes.sense.pod at gmail.com. And we might share it on a future episode. Have a great week. Smell you later. Our producer is Kelly Wessinger. Our engineer is Jack Inslee. Our theme music is by Zakar Valaha, Michael, and Top Flow Production. Don't forget to like and subscribe. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts.